Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Welcome to the Microchurch Next Podcast, hosted by Leadership Network. You're listening to a podcast today that was originally recorded as a webinar. So if you're interested in not only hearing this content, but seeing some interaction with the speakers, you can go to leadnet.org forward slash microchurch dash next to find out more and to see the videos, to see articles and to track with us at Leadership Network as we explore the microchurch paradigm. Hey, and welcome to this webinar hosted by Leadership Network. My name is Brian Johnson, Rob Wegner on this today, as well as Doug Paul. And we are going to have a conversation about the state of the microchurch in the West. So if you joined us last year during 2022, we got the chance to interview a bunch of different microchurch networks through the year. And here are 16 of them. Yeah, we got to hear about how they emerged. We got to hear their background stories, some of the cool things they're doing, and just trying to facilitate some conversation around that. More for exposure to say like, hey, this is happening in the West. This isn't just something that's happening globally, but there's a return to this in the West. Go, Rob. And those are all available on YouTube, for example. Go to the Leadership Network YouTube channel and check them out. They're super challenging, super inspiring. It'll warm your heart with what God's doing. So anyway, just want to point that way. Yeah, totally. So at its core, Leadership Network plays a prophetic role within the church, helping the church to sense what the Spirit of God is doing across the body of Christ. And and we want to highlight those things. So Rob and I get the joy of leading within this micro church lane to highlight different stories, to bring up um, just how people are engaging that conversation. What are the things they're learning? What can the church as a whole learn? So today we wanted to take some time to really explore the story from last year and what we discovered. So that's why we've entitled this, The State of the Microchurch. So Doug uh, was a part of a journey that we held last year where we invited many of these networks that we interviewed here on the webinar. We brought them live together in three different spaces. So we were in Kansas City, we were in Houston, and we were also in Tampa at the end of the year. Uh, So we're going to get all into like, what were the things that we learned? Uh, We produced um, a little ebook document, however you want to label that that goes with this. So you'll be able to download that, read through that. So let's just jump into the conversation. Uh, let's start with... Let's jump in, Brian. Let's do it. Let's, I guess we've already jumped in, right? Let's 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 go ahead and jump. Right. Right. So we're done. I don't know. I don't know where we're going now. I know, I know Rob's tired, so this should be an amazing... <laughs> can, can I say this, though? We just want to wrap this whole thing with... Uh, a sense of perspective that even this perspective on the state of the microchurch is very limited. Mm. Uh, we're really grateful because uh, we had OGs uh, in the kind of missional community, microchurch movement who've been after this for like decades. Yeah. We had some really young voices, people that have just fresh out of this shoot. Um, so it was an incredible community of people, but we just want to recognize how diverse the body of Christ is. Uh, but we still think there is some really great value 
um, and insight on some general themes on what's happening in the microchurch movement, specifically in the West. Yeah. Um, outside the Western world, completely different story. So we have this emerging movement and just want to give that little bit of context. And then Doug, how in the world, like when you were uh, working with us to design this, like let's get a little bit into what was the design behind all the the three gatherings and the conversations and the outcomes we were shooting for. I think people will find that helpful also as a part of context. Yeah. I mean, from a design perspective, we had three gatherings. You kind of mentioned the cities and we were walking through I think maybe a framework some folks are familiar with um, where you're the first gathering was around asking the question, what is? So you're kind of looking at what's the what's our current reality for microchurch, but also what were the forces that shaped us in the past to get here, which we'll talk about, I think, uh, in a few minutes. The second one was like, what could be? And I think we what we did for that is we identified coming out of the very first one, some of the 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 big uh, maybe barriers or challenges that the that there was a lot of overlap for microchurch leaders and we didn't attempt to solve the problem in that second one in many ways what we tried to do is to understand it a lot more fully and then the third gathering that we had in Tampa in the mall was what uh, what could be excuse me what will be and that was we 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 took the problems that we had really dug into in the second one. And we started to think through potential solutions, not to say this is the solution so much as what are different ways of attacking some of these problems. And so I, I think one of the one of the things that was very has always been very important for leadership network um, is not to say like, hey, there is an expert who knows all of the answers and we are sitting you in front of the expert. Rather, let's facilitate a process that brings people who already have a lot of experience and expertise into the same room and let's learn from each other let's pull from each other and let's have a shared process that we're walking through so that that's what we were attempting to design um especially at the mall with the orange julius if you can get one <laughs> yes <laughs> the mall was definitely the most unique experience it was a really if you've not been to the tampa underground love it. mall so experience you got to. You, you hop on that Greyhound bus and you get in. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You go back in time, eat in the food court. It's amazing. Yeah, I think a couple other things to add into that, just to you know, give context around what we experienced. Like we we got the joy of the firsthand experience, but just inviting everyone into this to feel it with us is like we did have our friends that have been at this for decades. We did have networks that were very new and we realized there's a whole lot more of them out there that we haven't even yeah. met yet like through each other it's like there's a few of us and we had relationships with networks and they're having relationships with networks and there's this like it's way bigger than we thought yeah it's, it's clearly something that's happening in hundreds of cities simultaneously mm -hmm. and one thing that is very clear is these aren't people who are in this because they're looking for a new method it's a very deep reformation at the, at, at like in people's deepest place of consciousness. Yeah. This is very, it's got a gravitas to it. That's very significant. And that was one of the things that was, um, I, I treasure having that perspective of like, this is a genuine move of God. It's embryonic. 
Um, but there's something very deep and profound happening. And the folks that are breaking out are doing it with a, it's not like, Hey, here's our new growth strategy. It's like, no, these, these are our deepest biblical and philosophical convictions. And we have to, we have to live these out. We have no other choice, you know? And that was amazing to be in that kind of fellowship. It's like, Oh yes. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a, so there's one like looking for a new growth strategy and micro is it. The other side of that is people who have had really negative experience with, with the the prevailing model church. And then what they're trying is in reaction to that mm-hmm. and not into conviction mm-hmm. to something different or bigger. Mm-hmm. And so I think just as an outsider in that room, um, getting oh, come on, Doug. You know, you're, kind of a, you're an insider. Okay. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> but, but just it, it, as someone who is in the room doing like not as a participant, but as a the one designing and facilitating it, I think one of the things that was unique about it, and I've done, I've been in a lot of these rooms, is that probably every single person there was there doing this micro thing because they had a deep conviction about mm-hmm. what it is that they were doing, and it was not in reaction to something else. Doesn't mean that they didn't have negative experiences with something else. But I think that that's one of the rare things that you'll see is that so much of our leadership choices, decisions, church structures, all this stuff is usually like in reaction to something and we overswing. So we'll go from one ditch to the other side of the ditch. I thought I do think that does not mean what was happening in the room and the people in the room were perfect. Far from it. But I do think there was some real internal work. Mm-hmm. That had been done mentally, spiritually, ecclesiology, ecclesiologically, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That that was distinct and different from maybe some other experiences that I've had leading in the past. Yeah, it felt like you know we didn't. We've said this that we didn't have any pressure in the beginning to come in to produce some thing that was going to move the church forward or something. It was just like when we first got together, the relationships were primary. We invited people in to go like, how did we all get here? Like what, what's, what's the backstory? What's the narrative that's been written? Um, and we could jump there. I mean, since that's, yeah, I think that'd be a good place to start. I mean, I don't want to wax too eloquent or beautifully about an experience that the listeners of this probably didn't have. (laughs) That's true. We're we're like, you know, (laughs) having warm memories of reliving. Yes. You guys, you remember that time we did that thing? (laughs) Oh man. People can watch us remember this together. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's talk about some of the learnings, Brian. Yeah, yeah. So jumping back into the story, we did kind of map the narrative, but a meta narrative, not like, how did Rob get here? It was like, how did these different networks get here? But also how did the church get there? Um, so yeah, Doug, how did we get here? Cause you did an amazing job mapping that. Well, I, it was, I think I, the way that we would talk about it is that what we did is we co-created a map together. Yeah, it was that, fun. That really showed the formational journey of the last 30 years to this moment in time. And so essentially what we did is we got into separate groups and we just asked people, we gave them a piece of paper um, and there's a line down the middle. And then it was like, hey, we want you to write, what do you think of the the five to seven most positive formational things that have happened in the last 30 years that have impacted the microchurch movement? 
And then underneath that line, speaking of negatives, underneath that, that kind of like zero even line, what are the top five to seven negative formational experiences that have probably impacted the microchurch movement where it finds itself today? And so people did that individually, and then they created a shared picture of what that timeline was and then gave them chapter headings. And so like, hey, chapter one was mainly about this and chapter two is mainly about this. And so everyone had a slightly different map. And it was it was fascinating to see these these formational experiences that like I hadn't even thought about in like 20 years or whatever it might be. It's like, oh, that that did happen and that was consequential. Uh, and ultimately, what came out in the resource that you all can download, that the State of the Microchurch PDF, is a, kind of like a, a map and journey through. I think I think it starts in like 1987 or something mm-hmm. around the formational moments, positive and negative, for how we find ourselves here today, with some chapter headings that I think was. Re- I mean, like the the group just did a really great job putting that together. Yeah, it was interesting too between the different working groups. There was a lot of um, common uh, data points. Um, so should we hit quickly the four chapters that ended up being this summary? Yeah. So the uh, the, the first one for chapter one, and it starts in 1988, and like the first tick on that little journey roadmap you can see is um, the rise of the church growth model. And so you re- you really see that with a number of different things happening, but probably the biggest thing is the purpose driven life. Again, not trying to speak bad of the purpose driven life, not trying to speak bad of all the incredible things that God did through it. Um, but the, it was a major, major formational piece. As before, the book even came out, there were workshops that were happening yeah. all over the United States that people were going to. If you look at this, is a, a fascinating thing. If you look at the 100 largest churches today in the United States, more than 80% of them at- attended one of those early 90s workshops. Yeah, Rob was probably leading them. He was- <laughs> no, no, but Green, a team from Granger was at the very first one. Yeah. Which so is you, you, you can kind of see like th- there were a number of things that happened. But the way that they're sort of experienced collectively is like, this is chapter one is the rise of the church growth model. Mm. Um, you know, what I think of the reason I think that uh, ended up in the micro church narrative too, in case someone's going like, what, uh, what is basically what purpose driven did was bring the missional incarnational impulse of like, we need to be externally focus. We need to be a church for the unchurched. And that that's missional. And then incarnational is we got to be culturally relevant. We have to speak the timeless message in a timely way. I'm using all the old purpose-driven catchphrases, right? I told um, you it was there. <laughs> <laughs> Method may change, but the mission is the same. So the heart of it uh, was that a very missional incarnational heart. It, it never got outside of the Christendom ecclesiology. Uh, but eventually the, a lot of the early practitioners and, and I'm just going to use myself anecdotally, I'm not trying to be like a poster child, but that so resonated with me. And then eventually I started to see, oh, this ecclesiology is the problem. Like we're never, we're never going to be able to fully experience this missional incarnational impulse inside of this, like 
uh, template that's been handed down to us on church. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, influence in terms of restoring that kind of missional incarnation impulse back to the heart of a lot of church leaders um, yeah. that purpose driven and Willow Creek in particular. Yeah. yeah. We're really catalytic. Of- and, it, and it speaks well to like what happened in the second chapter. So if chapter one is the rise of the church growth model, chapter two is the proliferation of it. Right. So the, the late eighties, early nineties was sort of your early adopters, whether the, you're talking about Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Andy Stanley and others, but the nineties and the early aughts were really, Hey, this is, this is, this is in the water. Like mm-hmm. it's like, so tens of thousands of churches are joining the Willow Creek association. Um, and so you're, you're seeing the, like the balloon fill with more, hey, you know more, what? more, more churches with this. Yes. Another ob- uh, obscure data point. We were Willow Creek association church. Number 26. <laughs> Granger was. Yes. Wow. You know, the number is like that meaningful. It's like. <laughs> McDonald's big, number 26. Yeah, at the time, it was like, whoa, man, God's up to something. Yeah. That was employee number 26 at Google. We should, <laughs> should have put that on the map, though. Granger becomes. Yo, that should have made I'm just giving you some anecdotal stories, man. It's funny. It's like I, I have all these memories at these different things that pop up, you know? Uh, I would say all, all of that was important, though, as we mapped this. And I, you, I think you mentioned it, Doug, but just to hit it again, it's not just like church stuff that we're mapping on this. Like there are cultural things that we're yeah, that pushed yeah, us. You have like the, late, you know, 95, 96 is really where the internet hits a tipping point. That mattered. Yeah. That, that really mattered. <laughs> uh, as we all know, it's, I mean, it, it, that, that's just, that is what we swim in now. Yeah. That there was a time where that just wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and it was like part of the reason that it spread like it did, how it did, and as fast as it did was it, it happened at the same time the internet was tipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the other no. thing that starts to happen, I think in that second chapter, there, there are two things that were, at least to me, um, as I'm looking at it from like a cultural anthropologist standpoint that were interesting is one, the music that's starting to get created. Uh-huh. Because music tends to be such a, yeah. an important piece of any Christian movement. So like the Delirious album that came out, the very first Hillsong United album that came out, which created in some ways like a template mm-hmm. um, where it's like, do you like U2 and Coldplay? Yeah. Come to our worship service. You know, I mean, like, but that was that was really important at that point because mm-hmm. nothing like that had existed. It was hymns and then eventually it was like praise music and then vineyard yeah and maranatha yeah and at the same time two things that got noted for example is missional church coming out by Uter, mm-hmm. and then the christian community development association emerging yes, so there's like um this deep very mature um like with ccda of like Here's, we're not just doing relief or trying to get people to come to a building. We're going all the way in. We're looking for assets where God's already at work in a community. We're building this together, um, not programmatically, but relationally over time. It's, it's very, um, it's a mature expression of what it means to be incarnational, not just I played a U2 song in my weekend service. And then Missional Church is giving 
yeah. a similar approach to what it means to actually be a church that can be adaptive missionally, not just we're doing small groups better, we're doing better music, we're preaching better with catchier, you know, culturally relative fill in the blank. Um, so that's very significant in that time frame as well. This might feel a, a touch kind of sideways, but just looking at that map too, when we talk about things outside of the church, it's like 9-11. There's yeah. this like moment of everything is not quote unquote up and to the right. It's like that exposure of vulnerability. Um, mm -hmm. There's, you know, nationally in a sense, but just like what that does to a soul and internally and like all of those mm -hmm. kind of things. So it's like, there's a ton of like, external things to the church that we're paying attention to that are tracking right alongside of it. That's like, what else is big and in the way that might be vulnerable? That's a great point. And it was, and we say this with the utmost respect, it was a moment where micro powers mm -hmm. were able to um, profoundly undo mega mm -hmm. structures in a way that the world uh, had not experienced like in real time globally before. It's like, whoa, yeah, this is a whole new ball game. Like the U S military was like, we have to pivot significantly. Yeah. Like it's, uh, that, you know, war is no longer going to be about two major powers. It's going to be about these decentralized movements. And yeah. so again, it's like an embodiment of what was happening with the internet, Yeah, which again, it's, it's like this, uh, Morphogenic field. I was oh. waiting on you to say it. Oh my God. Yeah. These... <laughs> <laughs> when an idea starts emerging in every domain of society, like micropowers, that's called a morphogenic field. When it's happening simultaneously and no one's controlling this, it's just somehow all emerging. And that's Folks, definitely... all season. You can come here for the big words. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to bring them here on the Ellen Micro Church Podcast Network. <laughs> All right, Doug, take us to chapter three. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go a little faster. I mean, chapter three, um, we're, we're kind of crossing into the, the 2010s now, uh, which we named the adolescence of missional. And you're, you're starting to see, you know, writers like Alan Hirsch, Michael Frost, Neil Cole, Hugh Holter, Matt Smay, a whole host of people. Um who are writing on like, you know what, maybe the prevailing model, maybe it has some design flaws that we should be thinking about. Um, and some said that we'll say nicer than others. I was going to say, there was no maybe in those books about that. <laughs> I was, I was trying to be kind um, and to think positively and with, uh, with positive intent. But this is, this is, I mean, you see, you see some of the early stabs at things, um, whether that was Soma and Soma School and what was happening there, mm -hmm. where like things were starting to work and people were like, can I learn from you? Um, some of the most important writing around like Mission where Microchurch is today was happening during that time. Mm -hmm. And there we won't get into it, but I think there are reasons that that tends to happen. Um, things, there's prophetic writing in response to something Mm -hmm. that captivates people's hearts and imagination and gets them on the streets trying things. But it's worth saying, like, it's called the adolescence of missional because, one, it largely didn't uh, take. Uh, a lot of people tried stuff and a lot of people gave up and, like, left. Yeah. Um, some people, like, left trying. Some people left the faith. 
Yeah. And so it's worth saying, like, it's called adolescence for a reason. Yeah. You saw flashes in the pan, like things that were helpful and then disappeared. Things that were that had a sort of like illusory. Maybe this is helpful. And then it disappeared. and was actually really unhelpful and did some real damage to what was going on. But I think one of the, the things that is the marker of this third chapter around adolescence is the way that the future tends to emerge. And there is a um, a futurist and he I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. And I'm, I'm a, it's I it's escaping me. So forgive me. This is not my quote. It's his unnamed person. And um, he, he has this idea that the future is already present. But it's just it's just not fully dispersed yet. And so what you see in this third chapter with the adolescence of missionals right on the edges, the pioneering edges with Soma, with Tampa Underground, with a whole host of other people and places, there are pockets of things that are starting to happen and starting to work. So one of the things that you heard from lots of people that started missional in that time was like, we tried it and it doesn't work. And Perhaps what a, a better way of saying it is we tried it and it didn't work, but we didn't try it long enough. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to like bring that caveat in from the like, we tried it and it didn't work. Well, there are some people who tried it and it didn't work and they kept trying mm-hmm. and it did work. Mm-hmm. And it's like it started to spread. And that was that's really important to like how we got here today. Mm-hmm. I think I got on a soapbox for a second. So sorry okay. for hogging the time. I don't know. Very helpful, man. Very you should go ahead and take us to chapter four as well. Um, yeah, chapter four was like collapse and catalyst where a lot of stuff was happening around missional and then it just seemed like missional, 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 missional. And then it's like the bottom dropped out. Yeah. Where I, I think what, 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 ha- like we are in a culture where everyone is looking at who has the biggest platform. The biggest platforms tried missional and they almost collectively decided this doesn't work. Um, I think that we could really scrutinize that and be like, well, what does quote try mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and did you actually, I, I think a better way of thinking about it is that they co-opted it and they swallowed it and tried to programize it into their system. And that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, but because they have the largest platforms, that idea spread. Mm-hmm. And so missional went from like everyone's talking about it in 2012 and 13 to n- just vanishing. And it just kind of collapsed right overnight. And then it happened at the same time as like you're starting to see like major moral issues from very prominent prevailing model church pastors popping up. And then the Ashley Madison leak happened. You're like, holy crap. Can you believe how many pastors are on this list? Right. Like the cheater yeah. list. Um, it was it was it was a wild time. Yeah, I was going to say, looking at this map, I don't know necessarily what to make of it, but we have a lot more cultural things than quote unquote kind of church movement things in that phase where it's like it's as if you know part of how we got here is. Well, I know Rob in our writings, your writings, it's like we have a deep commitment to this. And we always say for biblical reasons, and then we say for missiological and cult- cultural reasons. Um, and it just makes me think looking at that map, it's like I see it highlighted in that, like we have a deep commitment to microchurch, 
biblically because of what we see, but those last two missiologically and culture is like we're paying attention to it and we have a deep desire to enter in and be present among in those little tiny spaces as 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 we move away from big structures, big systems and into a much more decentralized like people groups kind of culture and where we live. Uh, I think I, I think it also is showing a lot of the things are more cultural markers than they are like formational ones. Mm-hmm. I think some of some of that is the transition that happened. We mentioned in like 95, 96, the internet tips. Mm-hmm. What we aren't mentioning, however, is 2008, which is on the map, is the first smartphone, the iPhone comes out. Mm-hmm. But by 2015, the way content is is getting out is different. Mm-hmm. And so we've moved from like web 1.0 to web 2.0 at, in that thing. And that means like the, the things that we are exposed to and the number of things that are just drubbing us in culture are increased dramatically. Yeah. And that's the first time that like literally in the history of humanity that's ever happened. Like it's a, it's a sociologist called that an epoch defining event yeah. circa 2015. It's like boom, 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 thing after thing after thing. Mm-hmm. And then COVID, which is just... I mean, it's a line of demarcation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was an important one for microchurches mm-hmm. in this movement because I don't know. I mean, we don't, I don't think we remember it well anymore. Mm-hmm. But the prevailing model, the Sunday centric program driven church, a lot of them fell to pieces. Mm-hmm. Like for six months, it was like, we may not survive. And a lot of them did not. And a lot of them have not rebounded, yeah. but the th- but but in the like sort of like underneath of that, hidden off the radar, are these microchurch networks that that didn't just survive, but they crushed it. Yeah, like I, and I know it's not you don't crush COVID. I mean, like, but like they they were so strong and tethered together during that time, and like lots of people came to faith during that time. So that that's a it's a yes, COVID seems very obvious, but it's really important to like that's when it in in my vantage point, we started to see the, the, the wider church started to really pay attention, be like, huh. Maybe uh maybe this micro church thing is legit. Maybe this isn't just a bunch of crazies out there on the edges. Maybe this actually has some staying and sticking power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of them as it, it, what we discovered in that as well is while yes, there are some networks that might exist purely reactionary, many weren't and many were open to go like, yeah, this is what we've been doing, what we've been exploring. There's some deep convictions here of how we arrived at what we believe. Like we have systems and structures in place. It's not just sort of random things floating around out there. So I think there was a lot of um, excitement to see what had been like when you talked about the collapse and stuff uh, and it's sort of disappearing. It's like I think there was underneath like people beginning to take off again. You know, I think about our story in Kansas City. We're like 2015 getting together, beginning to explore and experiment and try things. And it's this like slow progression of like when 20. 20 hit it was like okay that's like years of experimentation and things that were like building that foundation that we stood on 
So the other thing that strikes me too is, you know, with COVID being in a apocalyptic type of moment, unveiling, I think it revealed a massive crisis in the church's ability to make disciples that are both transformed and able to actually reproduce. Yeah. Um, I think it showed how the current predominant form of church um, is very fragile when it comes to community. Like we thought these people were the church and we misunderstood what the relational connection was. It was very fragile, very thin. Um, I think as well, because the cultural landscape got so complex politically um, with major issues like what George Floyd's murder triggered, like the missional um, engagement, the church felt like there's no way to do this because if I'm in some kind of large platform, there's, there's no way to actually win in this conversation, like just using a megaphone. You know, like it, it, it makes every, and then when you start looking at all of those issues simultaneously, it's like, okay, where could we address this? What form of the church could we actually do this work best in? Mm-hmm. Um, and well, it, it's pretty self-evident, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's why I think um, it, whenever, whenever there's a paradigm shift, it's always the people who are the best not always, but there's usually like a group of best practitioners in the old paradigm who pick up all the anomalies where things aren't working and then they jump over some of them, you know, and it feels like we're in that moment, um, you know, in this, this chapter, um, like it was happening in part with people like Jeff Vanderstel leading youth ministry at Willow Creek jumps out, launches Soma. Right. But now it's happening like in scale. I think, you know, um, and, and it's, it's got the vibe of a, of a movement to it. Yeah. So just kind of moving us along here, we, we, you have to know where you've been to know where you're going. Right. I don't know. Forrest Gump said that, or something. <laughs> but let's look at, um, you, you know, we got the narrative where we are, let's jump into like some of the things we discovered, like where we are, where we are currently. And, we may not get to all of this. We might just kind of hit this, come back, and maybe do a part two. I'm throwing it out there. I think we can get. I think we friends. should. What if we? What if we tease it out a little bit and just sort of get the ideas? So then people are like, "Oh man, why'd you start that and then do nothing with it? Don't do that to me." <laughs> like a, like a Colin Cowherd teaser. <laughs> yeah. Next, I'm going to tell you why Patrick Mahomes is actually the worst <laughs> quarterback. Of all time. Oh, you're going to start stirring people up, bro. <laughs> I love Patrick Mahomes. I think he's already top five, but moving on. All right. So, man, thank you both for just that walkthrough. It's helpful for me to hear it again. I love looking back at this this map as well. And we're going to post this. We want people to be able to see this and access it and spend some time with it. But let's like real quick. We began in that process part of the first part of the journey is like, let's just see each other. 
because I think we're all family and we probably all have some similar stories. And then we started asking some deeper questions of ourselves. And one of the biggest things is like, what is holding us back? What are the barriers that might prevent this from sustaining, from other people jumping in? Um, what might make it collapse and fall apart? So why don't we just drop those out there and then we'll come back and record round two. Yeah, we yeah Rob, you want to you want to walk through those the three barriers that we there, we identified a bunch, but yeah. I think there were three that really kind of stood above the rest. Yeah, we'll just queue it up and then we'll pick up the conversation next time. Uh, it was interesting again to see uh, the commonality, like how many of the networks were experiencing the same barriers. Uh, the first barrier that was identified is leadership development and multiplication. And uh, every every single one of the networks was experiencing first generation, most of them second generation. Uh, a lot of them are stuck when it comes to third and fourth generation. Uh, it seems to be a, a barrier that was common across the networks. Again, we can look at the microchurch movement outside the Western world and you, you see, I mean, sometimes 30, 40 generations deep in microchurch movements. Um, and I think there's a sense here of infancy in terms of how do we, how do we actually experience what they're experiencing? Not so we can brag about how many generations, but because Jesus has designed the church to be a family of families. And he doesn't want it to stop at a second generation, right? Uh, so we're going to get into that. The second barrier was emotional health of leaders and microchurch communities. Again, there's an, been an incredible amount of stress, trauma, historic levels of mental illness. And um, when an ordinary person is making disciples and a microchurch family emerges, that's a massive part of their work now. And that can be paralyzing or overwhelming. And then when someone becomes a network leader where you're overseeing a network of multiple microchurches, a lot of that emotional energy and trauma also like the network leader sort of carrying that for this multiple uh, expressions of, of the microchurch. And how do I help and equip our leaders to have emotionally healthy communities and for them to be able to do mission out of the overflow. Um, and then the third barrier was uh, financial sustainability. Um, we know the old model is not going to work um, of just charitable giving. Yeah. And there's a lot of really cool experiments going on right now. Um, so those are the three barriers. We'll cue those up. If that sounds interesting and intriguing, you should join us for part two. You should join us for part two. I, and I'm curious for, for both of you all, um, for those of those listeners who are are hearing about this and like man i or woman man is a colloquial expression here in the south where i am from in chicago uh, guys guys uh what are like they're hearing this and they are hearing there was this really great relational formational experience that kind of was outlined that we that we walked through together in the last year is there an opportunity for others to join something like that or is it one and done? <laughs> yeah, this year, this year is a little different. So last year we convened networks 
we wanted to really pay attention to like, we knew there were a lot more like us and we had some relationships, but a lot of it was at a distance and it was like, we need to come be a family and we need to figure out what is before we start trying to tell people what they should do. Um, or not telling people what they should do, but like how we even got here. Like part of, I think we discern more about our story as we sat with other networks and we're like, whoa, that is why, that is a part of who we are. Uh, So that was a really important thing we did as a community of already emerged networks. This year, we're trying to take kind of a, not a 180, but just a turn to invite other leaders from around the country to step into a learning community that will be about, hey, can we look under the hood and figure out how you function? Like, can we see what is the disciple-making engine behind this? What do microchurches look like? That's usually the question, what do they look like? (laughs) What do they do? Um, And so, we do have some learning communities that are happening this year. The first first one will happen kind of spring into the summer. So that one will start here in Kansas City, April 23rd and 24th, I believe, where I have a kind of a two-day event where we just show everything of the Kansas City underground, have some amazing Kansas City barbecue with some microchurch leaders here in the story. And then we have a digital classroom where we're going to explore some of the training pathways. Yeah, we'll meet every week for, yeah. for coaching and training. Yeah. Q49. 39. 39, Q39. <laughs> and then we'll finish that cohort in Houston with the church project. I'm repping today, church project. Uh, so to see just another expression of what they look like, because one of the consistent things we found is that everybody sort of expresses this differently. <laughs> so um, if you want to, and th- we'll repeat that cycle again later in the late summer, early fall. So you can find out both of those if you go to, uh, I think it's leadnet.org. And then uh, forward slash microchurch dash next. So leadnet.org forward slash microchurch dot next. And then you can find the learning communities on there and register. So I, I will say if you were listening and going, man, I wish I could have been in the room for these, like to be with like minded people, reimagining yeah. what the church can be and do. But watch this. Uh, actually talk shop, but in the context of community and um, and a really deep connection with Jesus and each other. Like, this is for you. We want to, you know, if you're a beginning practitioner, uh, or maybe in your first, you know, chapter, chapter two, we've designed this for you and we hope you'll be a part of it. We really want to be friends on mission with you in this thing. Awesome. If you don't sign up for the microchurches, sign up for the Q39 barbecue. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they have a sandwich there. I promise you it will not yes. disappoint. It won't it will not disappoint you. <laughs> hey, Doug, thanks for spending some time. And yeah, I'm, I didn't, we didn't come into this prepared for part two, but I'm sure glad that we spent the time we did in this first section and looking forward to having another round to, to dive deep into those barriers and, and to talk about what solutions we're coming up yeah. with to address those barriers. So we'll do that next time. Hope you'll join us. Pay attention to the Microchurch Next channel with Leadership Network. I think you can subscribe to those YouTube videos. Go back, watch the stories, and we'll see you soon. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.